Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to season five of Seven Million Bikes, and the new name is a Vietnam podcast. We are no longer a Saigon podcast. Um, it's been really exciting. I can't believe we're in season five already. Season four was short lived. Life got too busy, and I could only do five episodes for season four. But season five, we're going to be aiming to do twelve episodes, bring you one every week. And to reflect the fact that many of the guests actually aren't from Saigon or don't live in Saigon, we've had. Um, guests from overseas and guests from Hanoi and the fact that a lot of the listeners are actually not in Saigon they're based all over Vietnam so to reflect that the growth of the podcast it's now going to be called a Vietnam podcast so I hope that changes okay for all the regular listeners thank you very much to everyone who's been listening since the beginning or if you've just joined and it's been really exciting um, to see the development of 7 million bikes we've now moved into doing more events as well as the podcast And there's going to be a lot more exciting things coming this year. So thank you to everyone who's been along that journey with us. Um, I'm really excited for my guest for episode one of season five. They've just moved down from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City. They are um, from Washington, D.C. They're a teacher and they are also... um, a comedian who just placed second in the Vietnam comedy competition. So they've been doing loads of shows all around town. Um, It's been really exciting to have new comedy blood in town. They're absolutely hilarious. And the exciting thing is, um, please go on the Facebook page for 7 Million Bikes. Look at the events tab. You will see 
We are doing so many events now all around the city and we're going to be expanding across Vietnam as well. I'm about to announce a new tour around um, central Vietnam with me and Devin Gray. Um, and coming up just very, very soon, um, this guest is going to be performing at the Headliner Show where they get to do a 40 to 60 minute set. This will be the fourth show. Every one of them has sold out so far. Fifth show, sorry. This will be the fifth show. And I've made that a really long drawn out introduction to say the guest today is Kelso Dowling. Yes, thank you. Congratulations on season five. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, that was surprising to me. <laughs> and me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was never a plan in place and then it's just uh, been been going yeah i'm like i'm just another person on a season five that's the thing we should be celebrating <laughs> so how's it going how has the move been from um uh, i nearly said from ho chi minh from hanoi to ho chi minh city yeah it's cool so i moved from I, it's been interesting moving from one city to another in the same country uh and, and experiencing the differences between Hanoi and Saigon, meeting a lot of people. There's this rivalry that I didn't know existed between Hanoi and Saigon, uh, which has been cool to experience. So a lot of people, um, you know, I'm hearing a lot of like, Saigon's better, Saigon's better, Saigon's better. Uh, but I think they're both really cool. I, I really like, so I've heard you talk about this in your stand-up, and I really like what you, you say. You're like, you don't have to choose one. They're just different. Because I, I, I do fall into that kind of like, which one's better? Saigon's better, right? Ah, see, you're trying to get me to say it now. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was <laughs> Subconsciously. But it made uh, me think about it. I was like, yeah, why do I have, why do I fall into probably that wherever I've lived, you know, like I've lived in Wellington. It's like, yeah, Wellington's better than Auckland. It's way better. Oh, I lived in Wellington. Did you really? Yeah. No way. Um... Yeah, I would say I enjoyed Wellington a lot. <laughs> it's, it's my home. Like, if I was to leave Vietnam, I would go back to Wellington, yeah. Really? How long did you live there for? I studied I uh, six months. So I like, did that in university. I went to Victoria. So how did you end up in Wellington? I, so I have two older brothers, and um, we're very close. And one... So, like, traveling, studying abroad was always a thing in our family. Uh my oldest one studied in Wollongong in Australia. Right. And then my middle brother studied in Wellington. So the both of them were like, you need to go to Australia. You need to go to New Zealand. And they both were like, fighting. which one was better? Yeah. They were like, well, you need to do this. Blah, blah. Um, but I ended up choosing uh, Wellington out, out of that. So really just the experience of like what they had. I met a bunch of Kiwis who came to visit us and I was like, I'm going to go there. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad I did. New Zealand's amazing. Yeah, so I lived there for four and a half years, and it, it's still home to me. Like my wife and I will move back there one day. It's just the most amazing country in the world, I think. Yeah. And the people are amazing as well. Yeah, it's like a, it's stunning. It's a stunning place. Yeah, yeah. Wellington is there. Yeah, I love Wellington. It's cute. That we called it the trippy tree in the botanical gardens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And climb up. Yep, yeah, I know that one. That's definitely if someone were like. What's one of your favorite views in your life? Like, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you prefer, Wellington or Auckland? I didn't spend a lot of time <laughs> in Auckland. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, could, I really couldn't answer that. I, I was only in Auckland for, like, I completely skipped that portion of New Zealand. I was there for maybe four days. And then when I traveled, 
I, I traveled all around the, the country, like North and South Island and all, but I um, never spent more than like four days in Auckland. Uh, everywhere else was a lot longer. Mm. So, yeah, I couldn't even answer. That's all right. Yeah. So what did you study in Wellington? Uh, so in university, my undergrad, I studied theater and I double majored in international studies. I'm, I'm just. Yeah, I'm this done. is everyone's yeah. response. I'm like, how did how did those work together? You go to like a the G20 summit and do like a theater performance. Yeah, <laughs> this is everyone's reaction. Climate change. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I feel like I was interviewed for this article in university that had asked me about it, and at one point I quoted um, that I wanted to teach. English. Actually, this was in, when I was uh, picking my major, so I was like 18, 17, 18. I said I wanted to teach English through theater or like maybe like a traveling theater company or something like that. So I'm like kind of on the right track. But then my master is, is in global management, which is hilarious. I have a joke sort of about my educational background. Hold on. What the hell is global management? And that's the joke. Yeah, I have no <laughs> fucking clue. <laughs> Manage the globe? What? No, like, what are you studying? <laughs> that's my line. I'm like managing the globe. Um, I. It's essentially it's like international business, uh, on like a management track. So like, yeah, more like management styles and of like business more than like geopolitics. It's like. an MBA, yeah. So I like, right, okay. which I is stupid because I don't even like it. I just like. That's the thing you're supposed to do, I guess, at the time. Like, yeah, I should go into business route because business is a thing that you can do and you can say. But it must open up a lot of doors, surely, having an MBA. Uh, it, not particularly, <laughs> not for like a direction I'd really like to go. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, at, eventually I'll probably have to go back to, to school for another one. Um, what would you study this then? Uh, global theater. Global, yeah, yeah. This, my joke is I'd get my PhD in world domination. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the next route. So how long were you in Hanoi for? I was in Hanoi for about a year and a half, so not long. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was longer than that. No, short time. Right. And then did you come from New Zealand or you came from the States? Yeah, so I actually had... I was in living in DC and I uh, got my TEFL before I left in person. So I knew I was going to teach in Asia somewhere, but I didn't know where and I wanted to travel. So I actually left to go backpacking. And then I, in my head, was like, I'm probably only going to go backpacking for two months and then I'll find a job. I'll pick a country to teach in what have you. Um, and then I ended up backpacking for six six months uh so i traveled for six months and then i chose hanoi to teach for any particular reason um i no (laughs) not at all you know what's funny is that whole time i was like i'm gonna travel i'm gonna see which country i like like the most or feel like i fit into and hanoi at the end of it i had never even been to hanoi i just was like all right i'm gonna teach in hanoi i like so that plan didn't even work out. But we, I did have a family friend who had been living there, uh, is still living there now. So that was part of it, meeting people. A lot of people had talked about Hanoi, Vietnam in general. And so, yeah, I just kind of went in that direction. 
So talking about, we won't say which city is better, but so what what are the main differences you've noticed so far between living in Hanoi and you've been in Saigon for just like a few months, right? Two months. Two months, yeah. Today. Wow. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Congrats. I made it. <laughs> it will go by quickly. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has been. Um, Hanoi, uh, I love Hanoi. It's very, it's a charming city. Um, it's true. I, I miss the lake. Because I lived close to the lake and I like being near uh, water, like a lot of people. Um, it's like a bit, I think personally for me, I think people experience things in different ways. But for me, it was like slower. It's really chill. Uh, so uh, like really relaxed. I think a lot of that's maybe some of the draw to it, why people really like it. Um, and in Saigon, I'm, the city makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing hard because it's just, it's so true. It's, yeah, I, I think if you go and read the bio for 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast now, um, but it talks about Saigon just being a bustling city and it's challenging and confronting and it's, I don't, because I've not lived in Hanoi, I've just visited, but you know, things never close here. You drive down streets at 10 o'clock at night and people are still having coffee, the closed stores are still open. And there's construction going on till one in the morning, and it, and it is it is, and I think I've talked, I've probably talked about this on previous episodes. If anyone's listened, sorry if I repeat myself. I'm Scottish. That's what we do. Well, that's what I do anyway. I tell the same story to death. Um, our first year in Saigon was terrible. Like I hated it. I was counting down the days to move back to New Zealand. I could not wait. I couldn't get out of here quick enough because it was just so challenging. And then. You know, so it took a while to get into it. You know, so if you're, how are you feeling after two months? Because it could take you another ten to feel to feel at home. Or are you feeling at home already? Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, that's why I came down here. I'm like quite a busy person in general, and by that I mean not like I have, um, like I'm so busy. I'm just, uh, I like I'm stimulated, and I like, um, I like having things to do. Um, yeah, and part of that move was just to. I like a city, I like a city in general, like a bustling city where things are going on all the time. Um, so yeah, I kind of, and I came in real hot. Like I just like used connections of, of people that I knew. I was like, whose hands do I shake? Who do I need to talk to? Where do I need to go? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm like saying hello to everyone. I have heard a lot of people like, wow, like you just, you came like, yeah, it's like you fit right in. And I was like, you know, like, but I did that on purpose. And that's how, and I think, um, yeah, part of, I, my dad was in the military. I grew up moving my entire life. Like every three years we moved to a new place. Um, so I think it's just part of my mindset. Like you have to, no one else is going to do it for you. Mm. So Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, you fit right in. I mean, everyone knows Kelso now. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, I'm friendly. You are very friendly, and uh, I think everyone's happy that you're here. So it's cool, and we've got more people coming down from Hanoi as well, which is exciting as well. Half of Hanoi comedy scene seems to be coming to Saigon, right? Yeah, I think. Did you guys all get together? I'm like, right, we're all going to Saigon. <laughs> I don't know how it. Um, I think honestly, also with the times of you know what's going on, and. I tend to find people who do travel or live overseas like uh have this itch of freshness and new and uh excitement and you know we can't really leave Vietnam right now 
So, I mean, you can if you want, but good luck, I guess. So to stay here, make a change, see something, uh, do something new that feels different, exciting, um, like was a great idea. And also I can, yeah, stay in the country. So. Now you're from Washington, D.C., which is obviously a government city. So was that comparable to Hanoi? And you said you're a city person and you like the bustle, but... I never, is DC, is DC, Washington DC like that? DC is a hustle and bustle too. Um, a different kind. No, it's, it's very, it also shuts down quite early, like Hanoi. There was some parts of Hanoi that I drove through and I was getting sort of deja vu of, and and then I was like, maybe this is why I like it or maybe why I like this part of the city. Um, yeah. So I think that that, on but DC's cool there's a lot of a lot of people think that it doesn't have I don't know at least I hear a lot of people saying yeah it's like too political for me or you know oh that's not my scene there's this and that but there's so many other cool parts of the city that uh I really enjoy like you especially in the states like that's the city you go to make change so you meet all these people who have these jobs and you're like I didn't even know that was a like title what the hell they're like okay well so my wife lived in dc for three four five years something like that after college Ooh. and um she still to this day loves it she talks about how amazing it was she had like the best time of her life because she was after college and and i don't know if you experienced this but she because dc she's like no one's really from dc so it was everyone's from all over the country moved there for jobs in politics or lobbying or, or whatever and all these crazy jobs and things like that NGOs. and so she yeah ngos right yeah and so she loved it and she just had the most fun there so I, i've been to dc but only as a tourist just once i think yeah so i just did the, the mall and the, yeah. the white house and all of that so i don't really have any real perspective on it as a as a city, you know. Yeah, so, and I, I'm not really, I'm not from there, um, which I actually was... So excited. you told me, I said, where are you from? You said, Washington, D.C. Yeah, no, I put <laughs> it on there. This is what I say, which is why I'm really excited. I was, um, the comedy show that you do called um, Where Are You From was, like, sparked this new writing session that I had because I was like, oh, like, maybe this will be something fun for me to mess around with because that question growing up has been has like haunted me now it's exciting to answer but um I never really knew because I moved around so much yeah so my parents are both from Pittsburgh um Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and a lot of my family grandparents cousins and there's this sort of tie to Pittsburgh that I grew up having but then I never really lived there but we're so strong in Pittsburgh style but I was like born in Hawaii I have no tie to Hawaii I don't like I'm not from the island. I was just born on the island. When did you leave there? When I was three. Yeah, so you don't remember it at all then, I guess. No, and I um, I went back to visit, but that's what's in your head because people are like, where are you born? And I'm like, here, but I have no <laughs> you know, thing to it. And from there, every three years, I was living somewhere else. I lived in Europe for a while too, uh, which actually... A fun fact about Francesca, did we tell you this? No, I was about, that was, that was the next point I was going to bring up, but go on. Um, well, I don't know what you're about to say, but I was going to bring up Francesca. Uh, yeah, who is opening for uh, the headliner show on the 16th. I'm really excited. And why this is so cool is because <laughs> Francesca and I um, met at an open mic here. 
and did the whole, we should be friends on Facebook and added each other. And there was a mutual friend we had and I was in such shock. I didn't even say this person's name. I was like, how do you know that guy? And that guy was my brother who then we've tied it back to, we both used to live, or both of our parents are in the military. We both used to live in Italy together. So I've known Francesca. I remember her when I was like 12. What? Yeah. Wow. I went to school with her and her brother. And that's uh, crazy. Yeah. So now 20 years later. Did you like him back then? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, we definitely <laughs> didn't have. you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> I feel like. It's okay. You're 12 years old. You cannot like her and like her now. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really have um, a friendship, but I do remember her. I think her brother is more of my. I think he was closer to my age and she's closer to my brother's age. Um, but yeah, 20 years later doing stand up in Saigon. And I, when we were talking about someone opening for the show, I was like, Francesca, this is nuts. Like we have to do this show together. These two people that like knew each other when they were 11 randomly together 20 years later. That's really great. Cause I was going to follow up and be like, Oh yeah. Like Francesca, has a, a similar story, I guess, because I remember when I, one of the first shows she did for me, and I was like, where are you from? What, I put you down, you're American, right? And she was like, well, I'm like born in England, but I just, I'm a, I think her parents are English, maybe, or are they American? I can't remember what she told me, but but she's like, yeah, you can just put me down as American because I've got an American accent and it'll just confuse people if you put me down as British and then because she was senior and my dad was in the military and we travelled around <laughs> but I didn't know that you'd known each other in a past life that's crazy yeah so in those in our stories they've they've merged or connected at some point and now yeah it's crazy so that's what but that's what I think that part of um growing up in that way is sort of why I think I can move to a new city and just go in. It's like I've done it my whole life. I feel like that must be the most natural thing for someone like yourself who's... What, so what's that like growing up moving every three years? Because, you know, for, for children, they talk about... I don't know. I don't have kids and I've never studied it. But they, they whoever they are, say that, uh, you know, the stability and, and consistency and all of this. So how, how was that for you growing up, yeah, moving every three years? Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> I don't know, because I also don't study that that's funny um or want any I uh it's the only thing I knew it's the, so and I think that that um or I'll hear a lot of people like was that hard or oh that must have been difficult but generally like it was just very normal and until I was 13 I was always in um schools on military bases so I was with a bunch of other military brats <laughs> And then when I moved back to the States, I was 13, I moved to Maryland, um, and I remember talking to, yeah, my first time in a public school that was not on a military base. And they're like, oh yeah, Billy, I've known him since I was five. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I didn't understand, and I wa- like went home, and I remember going to my mom and being like, mom, do people just like stay in one place like, for their whole life? And she lost her, like, she was laughing really hard and was like, yeah. (laughs) So I just generally didn't know. I guess when I said in terms of consistency, but you would have your parents, so that would be, the for a child, I guess, that would be the main factor, the consistency. 
you know what I mean, in terms of your development and things like that. Moving every three years is maybe not so traumatic. Yeah, well, I guess it was consistent, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking as I'm, as I'm, as I'm talking. Um, so then how did you get into stand-up? Oh, yeah. Did you forget you're a comedian for a second? Though? Being too nostalgic about the past. We yeah. Talk, we can talk more about being a military brat if you want. It's funny you say about the show, where are you from? I find that really interesting because... The name of the show is because you're meant to ask the audience, where are you from? That's hilarious. It's not um, more about yourself. I mean, it's open to interpretation. Because the reason for that name was, remember when international tourists used to come to Vietnam? Oh, yeah. And that show is located in the heart of District 1, right near all the tourist areas like Bintan Market. And and so the thinking for that was that we were going to have loads of international people and it's going to be where you're from and audience interaction which yeah. is what it was in the beginning with people from all over the world now we still do because obviously there's a big international people of a big international group of expats here but we don't obviously have the traveling guests that we used to do it used to be people only in Saigon for one night and they yeah. would come to a show so it'd be like where are you from and and blah 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 but I like your interpretation of it as well yeah I I did think about it in that way too. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, I'm definitely going to say, you know, where you're from. But then in my head, I was like, if there's a lineup of all these comedians being like, where are my South Africans at? I was like, I don't want to be this person that is going to ask when everyone's already answered. Um, but that definitely makes sense when like travelers are in and you can ask those questions. But it was cool. It ended up being a, yeah, writing thing that I've never gone down. So. Oh, cool. Well, you're doing the where you're from this month, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you get a chance to come out to that, that's on January 27th. And I will hear about your uh, your jokes about where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> so then let's go back to so how did you get into stand-up comedy then? Yeah, I... So I, I studied theatre in university and um, I still had never delved into stand-up. I did sketch comedy and improv. Um, and I love the stage in general. Uh, and I, I'd always wanted to try stand up, but I was so scared. Uh, yeah. I was just like, yeah, I was that person that said I always want to do it. So you had done theater, improv and sketch comedy and you were scared to do stand up. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Cause I, I was terrified to do stand up. It took me seven years to, to get on stage, but I had none of that background. I was really shy and, and uh, like not a performer at all, like in any shape or form. So for me, that was like a massive, massive leap. So that blows me away that, that it was such a big leap. What, so for you, why was that such a, a big leap to go from being on stage performing to then suddenly stand up? Uh, in theater, I was, I'm like developing this character that's been created already. Um, uh, I mean, not in a sense, of course, like I'm creating and going to this character to try to tell their story, but these lines are given to me, um, that I get to delve into and, and try to portray. And in improv, it's uh, a team effort. So um, I also grew up playing like competitive sports. Um, improv also felt like in a stage sense, very much team oriented. So if, if, if you fail, then everyone fails together. Um, if you succeed, then everyone succeeds together. And uh, I felt that camaraderie in improv. So it was like 
just a team oriented sort of thing. And then in stand up, it was, it's one, you know, your own material. I wasn't really confident in my um, writing or really storytelling abilities. And then also just imagining being on stage alone, delivering things that are like from your brain that you think are really funny and then they don't work was like, makes me want to throw up. When you describe it like that, then that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get it. Okay, yeah, because it's, uh, and I talk about this a lot with my wife and probably with other people, stand-up comedy is just such a almost unique um, thing. It's so visceral and it's so like, you're. I, I never even thought about the loneliness of it, like you're alone on a stage with... 30, 40, 50, 100 people looking at you. And if you, I mean, I've had it like jokes that I know get big laughs, but if I don't tell it right, it's like silence. And I'm like, what have I done wrong here? And it's so lonely when there's, when there's nothing. You're like, oh. Um, so, yeah, interesting take on that. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of, or I, and sorry, so in the way that I got in, to it was so I was that person that was saying for like six years after I finished uh school it was just something like yeah I always want to try stand up like I was one of those and I never did it so I was like always talking about it not being about it and then um I think I got to I honestly want to say it was probably a new year's resolution no it was yeah I just pulled up resolution list from 2017 and number eight on the list was do stand-up comedy wow a resolution that was completed amazing yeah yeah right (laughs) um yeah so i um what i did was i found a stand-up 101 class in dc and i was like okay if i'm going to do this let me do this class i'll get to like some of the basics i can do it with a bunch of other people kind of bring in that little team support aspect And, uh, you know, if it goes well, it goes well. And then if it doesn't, it doesn't. And at least like I can say I tried and I got um, sort of the the basic principles of what this art is. And it ended up going really well. And then after that first time, I was like, okay, like I can do this, I think. Um, So, yeah, that's. Do you think your previous experience, because as soon as you knew you could do it, it kind of was like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I need that in, like, a lot of aspects of my life, really. <laughs> not just not just stand-up, just, like, probably career-wise and, yeah, relationships. Because <laughs> I wasn't too dissimilar, so I'd done um, uh, lots of public speaking for my previous jobs, but it was all about um, charities and NGOs that I'd worked for, and so I was very comfortable going up and talking about that to large groups of people. Um and I'd done face-to-face fundraising on the streets of Australia for like four years, so just approaching random people. And, mm. and, and I always made people laugh, but I never thought about stand-up at that point anyway. But yeah, it took me seven years, and then eventually when I did it, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I can't, this is it was literally that first time, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can do it. it was, but it took seven years to make that step onto the stage. And the only reason I did it... And I don't think I've probably told this before. So again, apologies if you've heard this story before. Uh, thank you for being a loyal listener and listening to the same stories over yes. and over again. We'd been going to open <coughs> open mic night at Indica and to watch. And I, I you know, said to my wife, I want to do it, I want to do it. For years I've been telling her I want to do it. And I'd gone a couple of times, I'd written out some stuff and I had the piece of paper in my pocket. And every time I just couldn't do it. I couldn't go and ask to put my name down. I didn't want to do it. And it was just... 
one of these things, you know, like it was a night, there was no one there. There was like five people. There was Angie the Diva hosting and I think one other person performing. I can't even remember who. And so that person performed and then Angie got up and she's like, well, that's all we got for you tonight. She's like, do any of you guys want to like give it a try? It's open mic night. And I was like, yeah, me. It was like, that was my like, and I had my stuff and I got up and did it and got laughed right away. And then that was, that was it. Like, yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, that I can first. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a drug, right? Well, yeah. I didn't think so at first, but now I'm beginning to feel it more. That it feels like because like, yeah. I know that's a kind of cliche that people say it's like a drug being on stage, but yeah. and I never really felt that. But now, like I do, I kind of feel the ups and downs of it a bit. Yeah, so yeah. I'm trying to manage myself a bit better right now because I used to do face to face fundraising, as I said, and I worked on 100 percent commission. So if I made no sales, I made no money. And uh, so that was really difficult in the beginning because some days you do well and some days you do better. But the longer I did it, you just managed to manage your, yourself well. If you have a bad day, you have a bad day, it's fine. If you have a good day, you have a good day. And um, I'm now trying to bring that to to stand up, but also because I'm organising shows. So, like, you know, we had to cancel a show last month cause, because we just didn't have many bookings and there was bad weather. I was really, really down about that. And I've had that before at other events, got rained out. This was not a comedy event, but... And you feel really down about it. Like, I really feel it, like, emotionally, and, and I can feel really, really down. But I have to try and manage myself to be like, okay, it's just a bad day, and the next one's going to be yeah. awesome. And not try and feel those ups and downs so much, and, and, and as well for stand-up performing as well. Just it's just keep on an even keel emotionally, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely just a part of it. Um, yeah, Sundays are good. Sundays are bad. Usually tell individuals who are trying for the first time or kind of getting new to it. And I'm still like super new and I'm learning so much and I know I have a lot of work to do, but um, at least I think I have now reached the point where if like if a joke, yeah, it doesn't go over well or just like a bad show or I wasn't feeling it. I'm just like, yeah, that's part of it. Probably part of state background too. Just like, yeah, show must go on. Have to continue. Exactly. People say that, like, I know it's a cliche thing, but I'm like, it's cliche for a reason. Yeah, like, right? don't yeah, hate yeah. on the cliches. Like, they exist. That's true, right? That's true. So let's talk then about your material, because you're a comedian, I would say, that's very open and honest, and which is, is really refreshing to listen to. I, I get scared for you almost, like, the, some of the topics that you bring up. So um, one of the things, if people noticed in the beginning, I introduced you as they, which is your pronoun, and so you talk a lot about your gender identity as well. And you also talk about um, your alcoholism and recovering alcoholic, if that's the best way to put it. And you're enrolled in AA at the moment. So how do you feel? Because I think for a lot of comedians, that's a big leap. How do you feel using that material on stage? Yeah. Oh, it's heavy. Um, but I do. Because you, you seem really comfortable with it. Like, But your persona is like that. So you just seem really lighthearted about it. I'm sure... Internally, it's not lighthearted. I am so happy you said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't journal. I do stand up. So I, I've tried. I've tried to just like write things down and process things in a way where it's like I can, I'll journal and then um, can like put it away and that's the end of it. But I'm like, no, I need to talk about it. And I found this art that, lets me do this um and I think that that lets me do this in this environment 
and also uh, feeling like I have to tell people, like I talk about my insecurities out loud and that's a part of just my, my, my own insecurity. It's like, I'm just going to fucking put this all out there because uh, it's just going to stay in here and like be inside and have for only me to deal with. But if I tell people like what's going on and then they're aware, it somehow, somehow makes me feel better. Mm. So I'm like, this is just what's going on. I'm just going to lay it all out here. So like, well, there's another cliche that, you know, all comedians are messed up and they do comedy as some sort of therapy. And I don't prescribe to that belief. But what what are your thoughts on that that cliche? Yeah, the cliches exist. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. I personally don't. But because I'm just not comfortable enough to uh, to share my insecurities, so I just kind of make jokes, I guess. But it's so it's really brave what you do. And but then the, the skill that you do well is you make it funny. So before you answer, sorry, I'm I'm leading you in here, which I try not to lead into answers. But I think that cliche of comedy as a therapy can go down two ways. You can have a comedian who just comes up and just tells you the problems and it's not funny, you know? But then you can have another comedian who tells you their insecurities or the problems, but they make it funny. And that's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say people who do comedy, you know, have a lot going on and this is why we do it. Um, But I mean, could you say that for any art, really? You know, people are like, you know, those painters or like those poets, oof, like self-deprecating or what have you. So I think, I mean, yeah, at least, you know, I can only speak for myself, but it's definitely, it is a, a, a form of something therapeutic for me that I, uh, yeah, really enjoy. It's funny that you say it seems comfortable (laughs) I hope it's presented in that way. Recently, um, I've been talking a lot about my gender journey because I'm I'm still on it and I'm still making a lot of new discoveries. I'm still learning a lot um, about myself and what feels good for me. And in the beginning, when I because I'm I was because I'm going through it now is is yeah that's just kind of what I'm delivering. Like anything I'm talking about is really just like what I'm thinking right now. And in, uh, when I first started being like, all right, I'm going to write about this and I'm just going to chat about it out loud. And I think it'll probably help me process. Um, but it was so scary. The first time I actually almost had like a panic attack at one, uh, one venue, which was like a sports bar. And I was talking about, you know, being like non-binary and genderqueer and trans and this, person in the front just looked absolutely disgusted and I wasn't ready for it Mm. yeah because I like don't hang around people who suck and (laughs) uh and also who it might have not even been about that you know like it's just that's like how I took it and so I immediately just retracted and it went yeah, I like went to the bathroom. I was like almost going to throw up. This poor girl was like, oh, you did so well. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I know this is weird. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's heavy sometimes. This particular set, especially about um, sort of my journey with my gender has been, has been, it, I can only do it a couple, uh, I can't do it often. Mm, too draining. Often. Yeah, it's very draining. Mm. It's a draining set. Um, but I am getting better. I talked about some of it last night in open mic, but I think it's, I took 
you know, maybe three weeks off of even talking about it on stage. Mm. And it showed, or it felt like it did last night coming out. So, Well, we've, we've had discussions about it. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm like a ignorant person and I'm peppering you with questions and you're going through your own stuff because I'm, I was, was it you that said to me recently? Or, no, was che- I was hanging out with Chelsea last week and she went to me, you're really aware that you're a white guy, right? And I was like, yeah. Like, I'm really aware of it because I grew up with just white people Mm -hmm. and with gender roles was male and female. I think I mentioned this on stage, like, I had an aunt who had a best friend called Sue. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, Sue and Auntie X is coming up with her best friend Sue. And my grandparents kind of fell for that for, like, a long time. And eventually she did come out to them and they they were okay. Because my grandparents, I could see, went on a journey as well. When I was younger, I heard them say some negative things. Um, and then now they're older and I think they're pretty comfortable with that as well. So everyone kind of grows, right? You can even grow from like 60 to 90, which I think is where, yeah. where their growth happens. So I, I apologise if I pepper you with questions because I'm trying to, for me, it's very different as well. As I said, growing up in a world with binary genders um, and a very, I mean, there was some Indians and Pakistanis with me in my school, but mostly predominantly white so for me now, like my wife is a person of colour, I have friends of person of colour of all genders and spectrums, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, make sure I use the right pronoun and how do I, do I use that? So I apologise if, I, if I'm, um, if I'm annoying. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks for uh, practising and doing it because I think that's that's really the most, uh, for, for me, um, I can only speak for myself, but just having people ask, like, asking is feels really good and okay. then even it, it's hard it's because it's new and uh it's such a part of our language uh that it's not yeah it's not an easy thing to do with where we're at right now and in, in, in speaking um so yeah it's not I feel like I'm having a lot more of experience of people being upset with themselves when they mess up and then I'm like, it's okay. Like, yeah, you're really nice with me when I when I I've gone wrong a couple of times, and then I'm like, oh. And My like, brothers having both of them are having a really hard time, but they're like, I'm like, they're when they freak out, it's like only on their end because they'll be like, she, oh, 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 this is really hard. I'm trying, and I'm like, I haven't even said anything. Like, just it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I know it's hard. But I can see them struggling internally and then getting really mad. But yeah, I'm sitting over here in silence. I'm not even, I'm not freaking out at all. This is all you. And that's amazing that they're um, so obviously so supportive. And how are your family with it? Um, yeah, I think uh, my dad doesn't really, I haven't talked to him really about it. Um, my mom is, yeah, she's understanding we're try- they're trying. They're trying. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And they're amazing. So. If you are comfortable, for people who are listening like me who don't understand it, or for people who are listening thinking they're maybe going on a similar journey, what does that, and again, if you're comfortable talking about it, what does that mean like you're on your gender identity journey? Yeah, I just, so I started, um, uh, you can, there's a term like gender questioning for sort of like if this comes up for you, um, which also felt really good for me to know that there was even this term that's like gender questioning because that's kind of where it started. It was like, oh, okay, where is, what is this? Like, where do I lie on this, on this spectrum? Um, 
and then really going into questioning like social constructs and binary thinking really um, with everything which this whole journey in itself of non-binary thinking not just with gender but with like so many other things has I know you know City yeah has been uh has been has been, yeah has been wild but um yeah so it starts out or like for me it started out gender questioning and then um as there's a lot of like if I don't know something uh really anything knowledge wise I dive into research so I read a lot um and I'm doing a lot of Google search I listen to podcasts um I just try to find all this information out to help me understand whatever it is that I'm thinking and I uh found a lot of this research to try to help me understand what I'm feeling and a part of that has like a lot of activities involved and projects um, and really cool things that you can do to sort of like uh, assist in like figuring out what feels good to you. Um, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of that now. It's just like um, I'm reading these really wonderful books. One is um, one that I talk a lot about has really inspired the, the set that I'm planning on doing on the 16th is um this book called life isn't binary and uh which is really cool because i messaged the author or one of the authors and had told them this and was like i basically was like thank you for writing this this has helped me so much and like um i'm i think there was a portion of this book they also wrote another book i'm reading called how to understand your gender which is another one so both of them have these little projects in to inspire sort of like um, I just provide knowledge of non-binary thinking and, uh, yeah. So I wrote them, told them about this. I said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this recorded and would you like to see it? Uh, cause I talk a lot about your book. Um, and they wrote me back. Yeah. And they said, um, this sounds really exciting. It's such a non-binary answer. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I'm glad this book has been, you know um an assistance for you and a little friend but yeah that's been it's been really cool so these really have inspired a lot in the writing that I'm doing based a lot on their writing and a lot of the new information that I'm that I'm gaining awesome yeah oh I feel like that was forever yeah no that's good and is this is this a stupid question because you say you say you're on a journey so does that have an end point does that have a destination I guess I mean not an end point does it have a destination um, I don't think so because I, I, like, essentially, I think everything has, um, I'm like on a very fluid, like everything is fluid and I've, and I've, am on this journey of where it's like, what I'm feeling right now in this present moment is, uh, where I'm at that could possibly change at any point as I'm learning, which it is. I mean, like I started on this gender journey and thinking about pronouns and, and, um, what feels good for me at first, I was like, you know, I think I'm still comfortable with she and, uh, like that's okay. And I, and I was, I was really scared of like losing this feminine identity that I like really love about myself. Um, and 
I have these these traits that I was scared that if I let go of she, that then that automatically means I lose that experience that I had. Um, but I had a lot of conversations with um, a lot of my other trans friends and uh, learning more what feels good, realizing that like that doesn't mean that if I drop this or maybe sometimes hearing other people say she that felt good. Um, depending on who the person who said it. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So at one point it was like started there and now it actually feels more comfortable hearing they, them than either he, him or she, her. And, but that didn't start in that direction either. And I think that this could continue to change over time and any way, shape or form Mm -hmm. for not just gender, like for anything. Mm. So for anyone listening who is maybe on a similar journey at any stage, either at the beginning or wherever, what, what would you say to them? What's your experience that you could share some, some wisdom? Oh, I, yeah, you know, I can only speak for myself. And I think that a lot, like what I talk a lot about in my uh, stand up is really just like social constructs and sort of, um, breaking them down and just seeing, you know, what feels, what feels good for someone. And then a lot of people, you know, saying that something is wrong or, uh, that there is a right or wrong or that that's just like not right or inappropriate. But, you know, if it feels good for that person, if other parties are involved and there's consent involved, then it's fine. And, and what would you, so you mentioned that book. Do you want to say that book again? What would be a, a couple of standout podcasts or books that you would recommend to, to anyone to, to read to, to get? Yes. Uh, Life Isn't Binary is one, um, which I think is Alex Ian Taffy. I hope I say that right. And Meg John Barker. And they also wrote another book called How to Understand Your Gender. So they write these books together. So we'll put links to these books in the the notes of the podcast. So if you are interested, go into the show notes and you'll be able to find these these books. Yeah, no, they're really, really wonderful and super helpful. And I also like that they're written from a... It's just encouraging, like, here's something that might help you if these are things you're thinking about. Um, And nothing is... Like, this is the exact opposite, like, everything that you should be feeling at this moment in time. It's just like, we don't know. And here are some other shared experiences of other people who go through this, too, uh, or who have this experience. So, yeah, I like that in general. I'm definitely on the, like, I will never know how anyone else feels. But Well, I think no matter what what it is, right, when you find someone that is having a shared experience or they've, ha- they've, they've had a shared experience in the past and you find out, oh, you felt the same way, it's so comforting, right? Because, I mean, we're all, like you've said, you can only speak for yourself, you can only think for yourself. So as soon as you meet someone, you're like, oh, you thought the same way, I felt the same way as well. It just feels like a weight off your shoulders, right, even if it's a, a small thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of AA. They're like, it's other... Alcoholics helping alcoholics. Right, right. (laughs) So you're like, oh, you also like drink too much? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, so I was going to ask that just because it obviously, as we said, it is stuff you bring up in your stand up. Um, How long have you been sober now? I am approaching 10 months. I'm a baby. Wow, no, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Um, And how's that going? How's that journey? Um, That 
has been, I'm more, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired faster. Um, no, it's been good. It's been, I guess I didn't realize how much it helped, um, or how much, not, I shouldn't say helped, how much I used it for energy, um, and, oh, flirting is, yeah, that's, that's definitely been awkward now. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how much alcohol helped me talk to people I go on dates with. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were talking with Chelsea over the weekend about how me and my wife met and, like, our first night we had drinks together and that definitely contributed. So it's scary to think that if we hadn't been drinking together, we might not be together. I'm sure we would be together, but it might have taken a bit longer because yeah. it's really awkward to do it. It generally takes that at least mm. a couple of drinks to... Um... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... a uh, For me, I think I use... You know, in my, what I'm learning now, like what I used it for, I think the most was really just to like shut my brain off. Cause I think it, it's, it moves really fast. Physically, I move very slow in most things in my life, but in here it's like constant. And I think that I, uh, used alcohol to not think about anything except being where I was at the moment in time. So then when I'm now not drinking and then trying to flirt, I'm like constantly thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, this is, do you help my, cool. Um, I'm like, yeah, do you want to, we should meet for coffee. Also, people find that weird too. I'm like, they're like, oh, do you, then you don't drink. And then that goes into a, I really don't care. I'm okay with being around alcohol and stuff. Um, but yeah, it always brings up something. Oh, you don't drink or you've never drank before. Yeah, so I think... Um, I actually felt like when I stopped drinking is when I delved into comedy in a more or stand up comedy in a more like serious manner. I started taking it more seriously and spending a lot of my time um writing and learning more writing styles. Um and yeah, just being on stage like a lot more. Also doing stand up not drunk or like not dr- I wasn't drunk most of the time, but just not drinking it. Which is something to even celebrate that I keep forgetting. Cause mm. like, you, you're doing stand-up sober all the time. Yeah, no, well done, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it must be so tough. It's interesting you say so you stopped drinking when you started doing stand-up? Um, or- no, no, no. So when I stopped, when I gave up alcohol, I concentrated a lot more on stand-up than I was right. previously when I had been drinking because a lot of my time was spent, like, just getting really drunk. Right. And, like... You know, sometimes I would go to shows and just be like extremely hungover. I would drink again so I could get through a, a mm. set or what have you. But yeah, I don't do that now. No, because I, I take my hat off to you when you're on stage and you're talking about it. Um, because I know, because when you're doing comedy, you're surrounded by alcohol, you know, and like you get free drinks. And if you don't get free drinks, there's just alcohol. We're performing in bars. So I think that's amazing. So how do you how do you handle that? Because that must be I, I, I take my hat off to you, like I said, because it must be so difficult to to be in AA, but they're just surrounded in a sea of alcohol and drunk people. Yeah, um, I yeah, I, I feel like for here the um, stand up comedy nights are like run pretty smoothly. So it's just. 
doing that. I think I leave a lot earlier is what mm. it is. <laughs> so like once it gets to a stage of, you know, people repeating themselves or like telling me the same thing <laughs> over again, that's when I'm like, all right, it's yeah. time to go to bed. Like good night. Um, but yeah, it's okay. I feel like this time, I mean, I, like I, I was saying earlier, I'm, I've been in and out of AA since I was 23. I knew for a long period of time that at one point I just need to accept that I can't drink anymore. Like it, I can't because there have been times that I had entered in and then I was like, all right, well, there are nights where I can drink three beers and go home and it's still okay. Um, and thinking that I can continue doing that, that is just not the case. Like I had to say, I knew I had to accept that it just couldn't be a part of my life anymore. Mm-hmm. This time, uh, it's the longest I've ever been sober, and it does feel like it's just not an option at all. So um, there have definitely been a few times where I've uh, wanted to drink. In my AA meetings, I actually had asked people, I was like, is there, can you get like, uh, like, can you become a cocky sober person? <laughs> and I think that's actually been happening to me sometimes where I'm like, oh, I got this. And then something will hit me later being like, no, you don't. Like, you need to go to a meeting again. So, yeah, just being cognizant and stuff. Is good. And are there meetings, plenty of meetings in Saigon? It's, like, easy to access support here? Um, so I go to a trans AA1 on Zoom that's based out of New York. Which is Completely cool. forgot about Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot, I forgot that we live in a digital age. I'm just thinking of, like, going and sitting in a church hall with some cold tea and a... Yeah, yeah, but I actually at the a show that I did a couple of weeks ago, um, someone came up to me after, uh, and was like, "I wasn't sure how to approach you, but I'm also an AA," uh, and that was really cool. That is cool, yeah, because people can relate to it and be like, "I want to." Yeah, and they gave me their information and said, "We do this. We have a group here," and that was cool because it was also a person that seems to be my close to my age, which mm. is a whole other struggle with AA, but. Uh, yeah, and that's like part of the reason that it's exciting for me as an art form and their therapy. It's like to talk about these things out mm. loud, and I can connect with people. Um, it was funny. They're like, I wasn't sure how to approach you, and I'm like, that's why I do this. <laughs> like, come to me. <laughs> Let's chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, thank you so so much um, for sharing everything you've shared. Uh, I really appreciate that, and I'm sure the people listening will appreciate it as well. Um, for anyone listening, like me and Kev, who have been talking since I met you, really, and um, everything we've discussed has been consensual, and uh, there's nothing we've talked about that Kelso hasn't agreed to talk about. So, um, but I do really yes. appreciate you being candid and honest with that because I find it really interesting, and I'm sure the people that are listening are as well. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, so let's move on to the final part of the show. So I finish every episode with the same questions. Now, these, every season, the questions change, but this is actually the same questions as season four because that was just a short five-episode season. But because the podcast is now a Vietnam podcast, these questions have slightly changed. Okay, so the first question is a little bit Vietnam-centric, sorry, Saigon-centric, but then we're going to expand it to Vietnam. So there's over 7 million bikes in Saigon, which actually is not true. So for anyone who's been listening since the beginning, the name of the podcast is 7 million bikes because when I started in May 2019, there was like 7 million, 300,000 bikes or something like that. Mm. And just randomly came to me, 7 million bikes, that's a good name. 
but they were adding like 50,000 more bikes a month or something crazy like that. And I've had since the beginning of the podcast and the beginning of 7 million bikes, I've had people ask me, what are you going to do when there's more than 8 million? And I'm like, well, the name's going to stay the same. It's not going to change every time it goes up. But recently I read an article and it is now over 8 million bikes oh. in Saigon. And there's only like 10 million people here. Yeah, geez. This is registered bikes. Yeah. See a baby riding a bike? Yeah, no, which Driving. wouldn't really surprise you in Saigon, would it? You'd be like, no. Oh, yeah, totally normal. Totally. Yeah. Last night on the way home, saw someone driving an SUV down the Hanoi Highway with a young child, five years old. Standing out the sunroof, mm-hmm. like in a movie. Yeah, they love it. I was like, my wife and I are like, what are yeah, you doing? Doesn't matter. Insane, right? Insane. They're also just like lifting them up with their ankles. <laughs> so the question is, with over 8 million bikes in Saigon now, and as we know, traffic laws are more of a, a guideline here often. What's an unwritten road rule that you couldn't live without? Um, so I like that you can carry anything that you want on your bike. So, like, if you have to move, if, for example, I had, I purchased a new bed, I can put a bed on a motorbike and no one cares. So, this is funny you brought this up because the last time I was in the location that we're in, because I'm not going to tell people where we are, um, (laughs) did a podcast the last season and the person I was interviewing said the name of, like, where I lived and I was had to cut. I was like, no, no, I don't tell people (laughs) my address on the podcast. Yeah. But um, where we are right now, uh, on my way home, I bought like a big stool because there was a sale at the furniture store and it's like this really nice big stool. And so I strapped it to the, they strapped it to the back of my bike with like tape. It was terrible, such a horrible job. And I had my guitar as well. So I had my guitar over the front and the stool over the back. And I only live like 10 minutes from here, but it was a nightmare coming back. And as I got back to... My apartment, I had to go over speed bumps and it kind of fell off the back a bit, but it was still strapped. Mm. Now, my wife listens to my podcast. So when you listen to this, Adri, what happened was it fell off the back and the bit underneath got ripped because it was like hit the back of the bike and like ripped through the material. But it's a bit that like faces the floor so you can't see it, but there's a big hole in it. But I never showed my wife. So, Adrian, when you listen to this, go and get that stool that we bought, turn it upside down, and you'll see a big hole. Um, that happened Sweet. when I brought it home on the back of my bike. But you never notice. You don't. It's 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 cosmetic. You know what I mean. So it's, yeah, it doesn't yeah. influence any way. Shape you or form. went to Marshalls. Marshalls. I still love that store yeah. when I lived in America. You know, I also like the. Um, have you ever seen the motorbikes do the balloons? Like that carry balloons, like just kids' balloons, like party. Balloons. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Did you ever play Mario Kart? The verses. Not really. I wasn't a big video game. No. Yeah, kid. Yeah, for anyone listening who plays Mario Kart and the versus one, it's when you have the three balloons and you battle each other out. But that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's Mario Kart's right around. The other one is the goldfish. Have you seen that? They've got the fish all over the bite. The fish in oh, the bag. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good mm-hmm. one. That's another one as well, it's right? A carnival game. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, now you've been here for nearly two years, year and a half. You said. Do you speak two to years. Um I can get around. You know, that, that means, I've taken that means no. <laughs> yeah. I've taken lessons, but I can't. Yeah, I can. If you drop me off in the middle of a place, I can. I can figure That's it out. Impressive, because yeah. I've been here four years and I can barely say anything. <laughs> so my question is, what's your most useful Vietnamese phrase? Uh, Sin loi. <laughs> right. Okay. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, means uh, sorry and excuse me. 
sort of like the same mm. thing. Um, yeah. The other day I had a, so anytime I have a really strong reaction to anything, uh, like fear, excitement, sadness, uh, my first thing to do is to gag. Like it's really weird. Yeah. I don't know. So like anxiety, anything I'm like, huh! so I had this, um, I called a grab driver to come get me. I was having uh, a little bit of anxiety attack. So he's waiting for me to get on. And I was like, <clears throat> and I was just like, <laughs> once I got, I gave him a finger. I said, sin loy. And then I just threw up. And then <laughs> he was like, okay. So I keep, I'm turning around like sin loy. And I'm just going, but he waited for me and he was super nice. Then we got on, and also Consal, which is like, no worries. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so right before we took off, he's like, double checked. He was like, Consal? I was like, Consal. My most useful one is Comhiu. Ooh. Which means I don't understand. Yeah. Which, when I learned that, I was like, life changing. Yeah. Like, I can just tell people, I'm like, I don't understand, which I feel bad about. Um, right, what's your favorite sunset spot in Vietnam? Oh, um, in Hanoi. Yeah, on our lake in Tejo. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've seen that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Stunning out there. Yeah. Now, would you rather live in Vietnam now with all the mod cons and everything we enjoy, international food, uh, or 20 years ago when it was obviously a bit sleepier, a bit more rustic, quieter? What would you rather, now or 20 years ago? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, I just, yeah, I, t- I think I talked a lot today about just like being present. So the past is cool to look at reflect on be aware of but yeah nice. move, moving like on that. i like that answer and final question what's missing from vietnam for you live music of mm. indie obscure bands that i used to go to see all the time that's interesting because that's one of the projects i'm going to work on this year is um putting on more live music and i love indie music so uh, yeah it's like watch this space my favorite hobby yeah and i really miss it it was something mm. i did probably two or three times a week in dc yeah i miss live music as well it's a big big thing for me well thank you very much well we're finished um before we go though can you please tell people what are you working on right now what's next for you where can they get in touch with you tell the world yes um thank you so the next thing uh the next really exciting thing for me is my first time doing a 40 minute set uh the headliner show so the that's really exciting. Where is it? When is it? What's Prohibition happening? Bar. Uh, doors at 8... 7.30. Show, th- th- show at 8.30. Doors at 7.30. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting better at my calendar. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's really exciting. It's on the 16th of January. January 16th. Yep. Um, January 16th. Prohibition Bar. Show at 8.30. Um, 7.30. Don't come at 8.30. Be there at 7.30. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That... Uh, exactly. And the other thing is our, so another comedian that moved down here, Eric, um, who's one of my comedy partners, Eric Garcia, he's hilarious. Um, him and I are teach a stand-up one-on-one course. We're called Class Clowns and we did it in Hanoi. And now that he's here, we're going to try to start it up in Saigon. Awesome. Yeah. We're missing that. We don't have that here at all. Yeah, it's exciting, and it's going to um, be something really cool. So, yeah, watch this space. Um, we'll set out some 
Facebook page, our Facebook page and events. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at it's me, Kelso. That's good you got that one. No one else has that. Yeah, yeah. Know, nice one. Yeah, it's me, Kelso. And we'll, again, we'll put that in the show notes so people can uh, click on it and connect with cool. you on the gram. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I feel like I talked a lot. Well, that's the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't, this would be a very short and very pointless podcast. So that's all right. So I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Uh, awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. Um, we're going to aim to do at least 10 episodes in season five. Um, we'll do one a week and we're going to start promoting more about the shows because we're going to be doing more and more 7 million bike shows so if you are listening from across the world sorry you can't come to one but please go on the Facebook page we're starting to post more videos on there so you can see little clips um, if you're inside gone then please come out to a show you can meet Kelso meet myself meet some of the other guests that have been on the show make new friends it's always a good laugh um, it's really good fun um, and please get in touch send us a message on Facebook um, you can leave a review as well for the podcast or a show really appreciate that I always love when we hear from from people it's one of the best things when I, I wake up in the morning and I have a, a message from someone I've never met before from somewhere around the world I've had messages from people in America saying oh you know I've, I used to live in Vietnam and I really miss it I love listening to your podcast or I've had one guy say oh you know I'm in America but I'm coming back to Vietnam because I met the love of my life and I'm so excited and you remind me this podcast remind me about Vietnam so I am um, if anyone wants to send a message like that please do because it is probably one of my favorite things to hear that so um to finish Kelso thank you so much that's been really amazing really interesting um, and I'm excited to see you. Um, you do lots more stand-up and and hear your hear your um <laughs> my, <therapy>. life. <laughs> <laughs> my life out loud it was, yeah. awesome cheers thank you very much thank you Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. 
The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.